Meanwhile, in Starfleet, Temporal Investigations, London Archive. So I said, if it's not a Chateau Picard, then why am I here? <laughs> oh, sorry, I've got a call on the other line. Hello, you're through to the Temporal Investigations Archive in London. How can I help you? Hi, this is uh, Captain Rathborn of the uh, USS Vector. Uh, I just wanted to check up on some uh, temporal reports that are going into the archive. We seem to be getting some discrepancy. We're not getting all of the logs through. Really? Um, do you happen to know the officer in charge of the records? The last name I've got here was uh, an Ensign Daniel Hitch. One moment, please. Oh, uh, he's one of the night shift people. Um, I'll have to go uh, upstairs and uh, check that he's there. Um, it shouldn't take too long. Uh, do you mind if I just give you a subspace back in about five minutes? Sure, no problem. Hello there. Uh, excuse me. Can you point me to the archive room for all starship operations to do with temporal investigation? Certainly. It's just down the corridor, second on the left. Uh, do you happen to know if the night shift person is there? Uh, I think it's an Ensign Daniel Hitch. Him? The hermit? We never see him. He's always in the back. You mean to say you've never seen him? Well, I, I only transferred here like two weeks ago, but I've never seen him leave. Apparently he just likes staying in there. Are you trying to tell me that an officer in the Temporal Archives sleeps, eats, and lives at his workstation? Well, that's what everyone else said. The person I took over from said that too. And she was here for like six months. Six months? Where does he go to the toilet? I can't believe he's installed one in there for himself. Don't ask me. He just doesn't come out. Righto. Damn door sealed. Computer, override the door in front of me. Authorization 47 Gamma 268. Hello? Hello, is anyone in here? I'm looking for an Ensign Dan. What is this pad doing? Help, help. I'm stuck in time? Oh my word. Oh, oh dear. This is Lieutenant Tarquin, putting an immediate call through to Starfleet Security. We have a problem. It was really nice of you to uh, bring a pack of cards with you this time, Serenade. Uh, it's been nice hanging out with you. It's been nice hanging out with anyone, really, to be honest. It's uh, good to meet up with a fellow humanoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like hanging around with you too. You're smart. You, you, you're strong. Okay, um, I'm going to play this hand. <laughs> Goldfish. We're playing poker. Oh, oh, I see, I see, I see. Oh, oh, my, my bad. Oh, what, what's the time? Um, been here for about an hour, I think. Oh, I, I better be getting back. Uh, they, they need me to, uh, to change the, uh, antimatter beer cakes. Antimatter beer cakes? They're having another party? Oh, sure. They think you're real close to where you need to go. Really? I'm getting closer? You mean... This could all be over soon. Huh, maybe. I don't know. But you smart. I smart. We'll we figure something out. Well, just let me know if there's anything I can do, okay? Oh, sure. 
Oh, sure. Enjoy your pizza. Right. Well, looks like the bubble's about to shift to the next timestamp. Better get ready. Space-time. The ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To locate every second and contemplate every eon. From outside time to the Big Bang all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Season 1, Part 2, Episode 6. There's no guest this week, it's just me, but we've only got two short clips to go through. We are starting with Past Tense. We're going back to a previous episode that was in the 1930s, but now it's skipped just a little bit further to 1967. We are going to timestamp 23 minutes and 47 seconds. Kira and O'Brien now beam into the same street before in San Francisco, but this time we're a little bit further along in history. There's a lot of loud music, they're trying to scan for the electrostatic charges, Kira is constantly having to shout and there's a really good comedy scene between the two of them as uh, O'Brien is trying to say that he can't find them. We, the audience, can clearly hear it, but she just cannot hear the music that's being blasted out of her beaten up old Volkswagen. And I'm going to stop here. Now, we haven't technically been given the year 1967. However, the presence of that Volkswagen and the occupants we're about to meet as well means that it could only possibly be one year they are referencing 1967. The reason being they're in San Francisco. Now in 1967, during April to October, we have the Summer of Love, where over 100,000 hippies descend on the city. So that gives us our timestamp. We're going to pause and do the history bit. As I say, we've got the summer of love. Um, <laughs> it appears so often in American culture and movies that you think that it, would, it was something that lasted 10 years. But it was only one summer. It was only a few months, in fact. But people descend and swarm on San Francisco, trying to bring about social change. There were a lot of protests for lots of different parts of the government, but the main reason was to do with the entry into Vietnam and war and the culture of the time trying to suppress certain rights. In January of this year, though, Ronald Reagan becomes the governor of California as he begins his major league's political career on the up and up. The Vietnam War, as I say, is raging on in the background. In July of this year, over in my home nation in London, where I used to work, in the uh, the Temporal Archives. I wonder if that message got through. Oh, uh, never mind. Um, in Britain, in July 1967, Britain decriminalises homosexuality, and quite right too. As far as sort of culturally what's going on in this year, um, you've got the Sgt Pepper's album, probably the most seminal album. Um, I own quite a few different versions of this on various different uh, devices, uh, but it's just one of those albums that you know, was almost uh, ubiquitous against any family uh, household when I was growing up. You always heard the Sgt Pepper's album playing. And you may also know the Are You Experienced album by Jimi Hendrix. Washington commissions a survey to find out the extent of 
weed, a pot of marijuana in American culture. Now, we don't get the findings till the next year, but it will eventually find out that more than 70% of American youths admit to smoking weed. And they find that the average candidate for this is between the age of 20 to 21, is male, and a student of social sciences. But that's where we really get our image of the hippie from. And back to the episode. These hippies, who emerge from the Volkswagen, start to give flowers to Kira and O'Brien. And there's quite a nice little moment from Kira, um, who is a very spiritual character. You know, she comes from Bajor, where spiritual beliefs are uh, everywhere in her culture. And she's sort of come to know Starfleet as something that isn't necessarily as out-and-out spiritual. Uh, There are people in Starfleet who um, have a spiritual nature to them. Human beings don't tend to be very symbolic that the humans she's come into contact with don't tend to be very symbolic and open to sort of these gestures of handing out things. Um, she she respectfully takes the flower from her, and she she's a little taken back by it because it's a human being doing something that she's not used to, but she is instantly respectful of it as well. And it's just a very subtle hint in the way that um, Kira responds to it that I really liked. It's a nice little character beat. O'Brien smiles as well, but he seems to be more put off by it. Um, He's uh, trying to sort of dissuade them, but it's too late. The automatic transporter beam is engaged and we get an uh uh-oh in mid-transport. How exactly you talk during a transporter beam? No idea. Um, I've certainly never done it, but who knows? We're beamed out and the hippies are left to wonder what on earth happened, but as the Washington survey is about to find out, they're probably stoned out of their minds so they won't notice. And we end at timestamp 24 minutes and 38 seconds. Another scene in 1967? Now you punch it up. We're now going over to Los Angeles, same year, but to Future's End from Voyager in Season 3. Interesting. We're going to start at 0 minutes and 0 seconds. We're actually given a location and uh, the year itself. We're given the time again. We're given Earth in the High Sierras. Now this is just sort of off Yosemite Park. It's a little bit past it. And uh, we see a sort of lone hippie sitting there. So we're given the year and we're given where we are. So we're going to go back to a bit of history. We've got two little history lessons here for you this time. And it's in here that in 1967, we get the Outer Space Treaty. Now, some of you may not know what I'm talking about here, but the Outer Space Treaty, which is formerly known as the Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and the Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, to give it its full title, is the treaty that forms the basis for any international movements in space. So if the United States, the United Kingdom, or the Soviets were in any way to engage in a venture in orbit or around sort of a celestial body, they have to obey the laws of the Outer Space Treaty. Now this was actually signed on the 27th of January 1967, so it's before this point. 
Now, because in this scene we see a hippie, we know it's got to be around the Summer of Love. Perhaps he's left it and he's sort of moving back home. Uh, so we're probably thinking it's later in the year. But we do get to see a crashing spaceship. So it has something to do with this treaty. And the actual elements of this treaty, even though being signed in January, don't come into play until October 1967. As of June 2020, 110 countries are still signed up to the Outer Space Treaty. Now, in my time, in the Star Trek timeline, this treaty also governs many aspects of our future deployments in space, and probably will do for many centuries to come. Think of it as an interstellar Magna Carta. And we get back to the episode. As I say, we've got the hippie. He's banging on some pots and pans and drums. He's in sort of like a little camp out area uh, here in the high Sierras when he sees a bright flashing light and a streak along the stars as a... Hang on a minute, is that, is that a time ship? <gasps> Did they get my message? Are they, they're trying to rescue... Me? Oh. Oh, it's a crash. Oh. Um... Uh, Never mind, there's not much I can do about it. I'm stuck in here. Um, the uh, the hippie, uh, he, he sort of says, ah, oh, that's far out. And we stop at one minute and five seconds. So, not much to go on. Uh, I'm going to put my ratings together, sort of lump them all together. But we've located our point in time. It's 1967. We have two locations this time. We have San Francisco and we have the High Sierras near Yosemite Park, just outside Los Angeles. So we've located our point in time. Next comes continuity. Now, we have two hippies who witness people dematerialize in front of their eyes. Um, they also come into contact with people, which would slow their journey down. So there may be an impact if these people were to go on to do something in the summer of love. And if they are delayed in any way, that could have a ripple effect. Stepping out of the scene, but into the wider episode, again, just with the previous scene with Kira and O'Brien in 1930s, it's never really made a thing of. So as far as we know, there hasn't had any impact on the timeline. It seems infinitesimal. Uh, there's, there's literally nothing that is specifically referenced in this scene that will come back later. So as far as that scene, nothing changes. Now what about the hippie on the hill? Well, a crashed timeship, a Starfleet timeship as far as I can see, has just crashed in Los Angeles and there's only one person around to find it. Now he's native to this time period. I didn't see any badges or anything like that so he's not another time traveller. If he gets hold of that ship, if he somehow activates that technology, even in the slightest miscalculation, it could cause absolute devastation if not just to the region but to the planet and with a time ship, possibly the entire solar system, or worse. That time ship crashing is going to come back to bite him, and us, I'm pretty sure, very soon. So, the first scene, I'm going to argue no change to continuity. The second scene, I think we might be branching a new timeline. Alterations. Uh, Kira and O'Brien, the shouting, you know, not being able to be heard the whole way through. You've got uh, sort of 60s music blaring out and then you've got the hippies. So you instantly know where you are in time. It's such an iconic look uh, and the passing of the flowers, the, the peaceful protest. It's a great scene. 
but just the same as the 1930s scene back in episode 2, it doesn't need to be here. This, again, could have been a conversation, perhaps a, a little less comedic, but it would have been a conversation that could have taken a place on the Defiant uh, as a bridge crew as they scan through the timeline, trying to find uh, Cisco and Bashir, trying to find all of these electrostatic charges. So really, as far as alterations are concerned, you don't even need this scene. But again, I like the comedy. And because of the comedy, I don't think I'd ever change it. Would I ever want to see something adapted from it? There's too little to go on. I don't think there's much I can say on this point. Now the second part, the hippie on the hill. I know what's about to happen. I know what that hippie is going to do with that time ship. I've seen this part and this record before. However, as soon as he finds the time ship, we, the audience, will never see what he actually does. I would love to see an expansion of the day-to-day, the year-to-year, the decade-to-decade of what this hippie will eventually do with that time ship. How does he get from just a guy hanging out, you know, middle of the woods, uh, banging some pots and pans, to doing what he eventually will do with that time ship? And perhaps it's pilot on board. So as far as alterations, I would love to see an expansion of this scene but not necessarily a change to the scene itself. Recommendations to Star Trek fans, to non-fans, and the godlike entities. Um, With recommendations to the Star Trek fans, it provides a lot of context, but nothing that couldn't have been done easily elsewhere. It's not an important scene in its own right. It has a lot of comedic value, and it's always nice to see a bit of comedy in Star Trek, um, no matter how loose but it doesn't really have to be here. Again, it comes down to that point. Does it really need to exist? And to a Star Trek fan, this isn't the important bit of Past Tense, which is a fantastic episode, which we'll be coming to very shortly. Now, as far as Future's End and the Hippie on the Hill, this again can all be done in retrospect. It could be done much later in the episode. It's nice to see. It's nice to see sort of where this character is going to start and where he will eventually get. Um, but it's not an important one. It doesn't stand out. You could watch the rest of Future's End, never having seen this scene, and nothing will change. So to Star Trek fans, I can't recommend either scene. To non-Star Trek fans, again, the comedic element might pull more people in, but really this criteria is about making that uh, that brainwashing kit, trying to get people into Star Trek. And it's a nice, funny little scene. It's a great little character moment for Kira, but there are so many better scenes, again, uh, for both Kira and O'Brien and what's about to come. For Future's End, again, it's, it's all stuff that could be told in retrospect through the characters. We don't even have to see it through the characters. We don't even have to see it. So to non-Star Trek fans, I'm not going to recommend these two scenes on their own and to the godlike entities for both scenes i've already said it they're just not that important they don't stand out we've got a crashing time ship now that could cause a lot of temporal ripples and we don't seem to see any after effects of meeting the hippies on the street in san francisco so really there is no grander purpose to these scenes there certainly doesn't seem to be any purpose for what they want me to find And that's it. All that remains is the last criteria to set up 
the next episode. Join me next time for Season 1, Part 2, Episode 7. We're going to Season 2 of TOS, and we're going to Assignment Earth. Join me and perhaps another guest as we discover the goings-on in 1968. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. If you'd like to contact the show, there's now a Twitter account. Search Temporal Trek Podcast at rider underscore coattail, or contact me directly at hitch underscore daniel. I'm also on Instagram, daniel underscore hitch underscore writer. There's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along. Go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free, there's no Patreon at all. But if you wish to financially contribute to the show, feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon. And we'll catch you in the next time stream.